The following message is presented by First Baptist Church in Manny, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmany.org. Now the message. I got to tell you, when you give, come to me before church service and give me an announcement to make. Uh, there's something that happens. Between that seat over there and this pulpit right here is my brain erases it. I try to hang on to one, and I usually have to hold the bulletin and hold my finger on it. I do that, I know, I'm, I know that announcement, because too many things going on on Sunday morning, and too many things uh, happening, and I'm thinking about that passage of Scripture. And uh, while I was sitting over there earlier, um, before church started, uh, Mary Gore came by, and she gave me, I didn't know if it was an announcement or not. Uh, it sounded like an announcement to me, uh, so I'm going to go ahead and tell you what it is. But it more sounded like a sermon illustration, so I'm going to use, use it for both, just so you know. Uh, she walked up and told me that this morning they had a church service at Cypress Bend, and she probably told Sunday school class, class that. And uh, two different tournaments were meeting there, and there were over 200 participants in church on the lake this morning. So that's good news, isn't it? That's good news. Good to hear that kind of news. Uh, I was in, uh, Monday, I was in uh, at Temple Baptist Church in Ruston for the Evangelism Conference, and that was uh, very, very good. And it was just a whole whole conference of good news, day after day after day. So, and it was a lot of sermons. And for even for a preacher, five sermons is a lot for me to listen to in one day, just so you know. I got through three. I got through three. And then after, the, after that third one, uh, I decided it's a good time for me to go outside and work the exhibit booth so I don't have to listen anymore because my brain can't re- retain so much. Uh, then, then I got back in there and, and got some more. Um, it was a blessing to be there, but it was also raining a lot. It was raining a lot. Did it rain here a lot? How many inches did you get? Eight. Uh, when I was growing up, we had, uh, I think, our, our annual rainfall was about 30 inches, and it all came in one week. Uh, it was just, we would get great big floods and then we'd have drought the rest of the year. Um, so it reminded me of that a little bit this week. Church is a lot about good news and bad news. It is. If you don't think that's true, uh, you ought to come on a Wednesday night. Wednesday night we gather together and people uh, are laughing and talking and then they share news and prayer requests and, and eat dinner and it's always good and that's, that's the good part. And then we get to the prayer list. And we open up the prayer list, and there's going to be, on every prayer list, there's going to be some good news, and there's going to be some bad news. And we're going to hear it every week. We, we keep up with folks. Uh, we have people that are really good at keeping up folks and um, t- with folks and telling us what's going on in their health uh, process, what's happening with them with surgeries, and, and that's great to hear. But also you hear some sad stories, too, some things that happen to people that hurt. Um, this passage that we're in today, Romans chapter 8, is the good news following a whole lot of bad news. The whole lot of bad news, first part of the, of the book, is that people are sinful, the world is sinful, and it doesn't take much to see that the world is in decline, both physically, in the, uh, out in the, in the elements, but also uh, spiritually in people's lives and morally and politically that there's always going to be this turmoil and all kinds of bad things are happening and that's just the way the world is 
Uh, I used to try to quote uh, something from the third law of dynamics, to talk, uh, thermodynamics to talk about that, and it's been so long since I've been in an engineering class, I realized I was quoting it wrong. So let me do it in layman's terms. Let me say this. The world is in decline. Things are happening that are negative. I wanted to do a preacher joke. So I opened up the, uh, my uh, phone and I, I uh, Googled good news, bad news jokes. And the very first article that popped up was 101 clean good news, bad news jokes. That's good news. The bad news was every one of them were, was dumb and I couldn't tell it. So I, I'm not sure I, you would have laughed at all at that. So here comes Paul in Romans chapter 8. And he says to us in the very first verse, Therefore there is no condemnation for those that believe in Christ Jesus. So we know that after all these bad things, all this, this evil in the world, all the choices people make to send them down a path of destruction, we know because we have Christ, there's no condemnation. We talked about that last week. We have a, a state of hope. We live in this state of hope. No matter what's going on around us, no matter what we hear on Wednesday night, no matter what bad news you get, what good news you get, we have hope. And that hope is found in Jesus. Everybody can say amen about that. We have it. Now, hope is not necessarily something that we have achieved. This, we're, we're, we're hoping for something that is in the future. But our hope is rooted in the past. That time of Jesus on earth, how he portrayed to us the life, in his life, the, the characteristics of God. And he gave his life for us on the cross. And he was raised from the dead to conquer sin. And that moment that we uh, accepted him and he came into our life, that's where our hope is rooted in Jesus. But we have hope that makes us secure in the future. So we know we're going to achieve something. We're going to attain something. It's out there. If it was hope, if hope could be grabbed onto at this moment, it wouldn't be hope. It's in the future. So we have a secure future in Christ. And this hope determines how we see everything today. So the little phrase I've written down for us today is our hope is rooted in the past and we're secure in the future and it determines how we see today. So let's get to Romans chapter 8. I'm going to start with verse 18. It's where we left off last week. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. We can't wait till it happens. I could preach about hope, I could preach about eternity, I could preach about the return of Jesus, and we sat here anxiously waiting. We're like little children in front of the stove watching cupcakes bake and rise. You ask for the light to be turned on, we turn a little bit of light on, that reveals what's in there, and you can see in, in that uh, oven those cupcakes are they're still a little bit runny. So the heat kind of has to do its work and, and a lot has to happen and the heat is on and, and as it, the more time passes, they, it begins to rise up and bake and overflow the top of those little cu cupcake muffin tins. And you can see that happening in your eyes. And not only that, the, uh, the, you actually can smell what it's going to be like when you get that 
cupcake in your hand. That's how we live right now. We live in eager anticipation for that oven to be opened up and those cupcakes to be revealed to us. That's what we hope for. That's how we act. That's how we live expecting the return of Jesus. We hope for it. We can see it. We can understand it. We know it's coming. We have a hope for it. We feel it. We smell it. We know that Jesus is coming back. We live in eager expectation of what is to come. Verse 20. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who has subjected, uh, subjected it in hope that all the creation itself would be liberated <coughs> from its bondage to decay and brought into freedom and, glor- and glory of the children of God. He's saying this world is in a difficult situation. One of the phrases I might use about somebody that's in trouble is I say they're in a tight. They're in a tight situation. It's a difficult time. As I looked at this passage this week and had a little more time to, uh, to reflect, because I drove a little more this week, but I'm thinking through these, this passage, I wanted to think of all the places I've been that, was, that revealed the great suffering on this earth today. How people are subject to the evils of politics and the evils of, of selfish culture and, and uh, gangs, and all these kind of things. And I, it brought me back to a group of students I took to uh, Nicaragua about 25 years ago. We, um, we left Florida and we flew into Managua, Nic- Nicaragua, and I'd not ever been there. And at the time, I'm not sure I didn't verify the facts on this because uh, I just believe the guy who told me this. But the missionary on site said, all the building you're going to do here is by hand because there's only one cement truck in the country. So we were going to build a house for a family, and we were going to mix every, um, every bit of uh, cement on the ground in a hole that we kind of dug out in the sand. And, and we took turns shoveling the, the cement, mixing it up, and getting it ready to pour. Took it over and poured it on uh, in the foundation. It was a long, hard process. It was very rewarding. But getting to the point of that rewarding situation, this is what happened. I got off the plane. They picked us up on an old school bus. Uh, it was pretty hot. All of us were piled in the school bus, and they said, keep your hands inside. The windows don't get too close. And I'm not sure uh, if I was listening when they said that, but I was sitting up against the window, had a brand-new hat on. Uh, um, I had just bought a Florida State hat. That's where I was working at at the time. And uh, I um, had that hat on up against the window, talking to everybody, laughing. And some, as we drove down a little a road that was crowded with people, somebody jumped up in the window, stuck their hand in, and grabbed my hat and pulled it off and took off running. Hat was gone. Got to uh, the camp or the, uh, the orphanage that we stayed at, and it was very nice. It was beautiful, and uh, it was a good experience. Was, uh, the food was going to be a little different that we ate there because it's just a different culture. I actually had a meatloaf that had whole turtle eggs in it. Uh, that's what they told me anyway. I think there were chicken eggs, and they were just trying to do something to us, trying to mess with us. But one of the days of ministry went to the dump, the city dump. And this was the one, the part of the ministry I think was intended to shock us a little bit. Go to the city dump, and it's just a gigantic mound of trash. And really undiscernible trash. 
You couldn't see much more than paper and plastic, and it was all floating around, and dust was kicking up, and there were fires, and there were barrels kind of out there, and people standing around the barrels, and uh, there were children and their mothers uh, all scattered all over this dump, and they were doing things. And the closer you got to them, you realize they're in there, and they are digging in the trash looking for food for the day. Now, earlier in the week, one of the missionaries said to us, we'd had pizza for this group. We fed the group, and we'd bought it in town and brought it out. He said, what you want to do is put all of your leftovers from this meal in those boxes, and we're going to seal those up and put them in the, in the trash. They're going to take those to the dump, and they're going to be out there, and somebody's going to find those boxes, and they're going to eat those little crusts of pizza that you left that you didn't want. They're going to eat that. And you would see someone out there, a little baby, Digging through a box, digging through some trash, picking up something and eating it. There was a city that lived in that dump. It wasn't just a few people. It was a a bunch of people. And there was a city that had kind of formed around that dump with little shacks and houses and businesses and all kinds of things all around the dump. There was a church about... I don't remember the specific number of houses, but it felt like it was only about three doors down from the entrance to the dump. This church met, and in that church, the folks that were there had immeasurable joy. They knew the Lord. And they lived in the midst of the most difficult situation, and something that we um, we are... Uh, I have a hard time even processing that that was their reality. They lived in the middle of that with joy because they lived in eager expectation. uh, Someday the sky is going to be split. Jesus is going to appear. They're going to be taken up into heaven and healed and delivered from all that evil. So I don't know how many years it's been, 30 years. Still can see it like I'm there. Verse 22, Romans chapter 8. For we know the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to this present time. So this world we're living in is an expansion of that little microcosm of that dump city. It's groaning, anticipating redemption. Verse 23, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship. That's talking about when we enter into heaven, into the presence of God, and we are at the, the culmination of time. We are in his presence. We wait for that eagerly and for that redemption of our bodies. You know the good news about Wednesday night? We've got bad news and good news. Is the good news is when a saint of the Lord is delivered from this evil place and goes home. Their body's been redeemed. Their body is made new. They are what they were intended to be. They are in the presence of the Father. Now it's sad. It hurts, it hurts our feelings a lot to lose people. It does. But we know when we lose them to heaven, they gain everything that we're waiting for. 
We're waiting for the redemption of our bodies. Verse 24, for in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So we're waiting. We're, we don't understand it all. We don't, don't fully perceive it all, but we, we know it's there. Now, verse 26 is going to talk to us what, we, what it's like to live in this current state and how we deal with it. How do I deal with the pain? Um, I told you at the start of the week, the start of the week was great. It was great. The more you think about this kind of passage, uh, the worse it gets. Because I'm thinking about this, this terrible state of mankind and sin and Degradation, all these terrible things people go through and live through. So I'm kind of seeing it. My eyes are aware. Every little small group of people I walk into, walked into Walmart yesterday and I saw workers working and somebody that was way past retirement stocking shelves and working hard and having a hard time bending over and picking up boxes and putting them on the shelf. Thinking about their state of, of eagerly awaiting what God is going to do in eternity. <coughs> Yesterday morning, we thought we'd have a good time. Caitlin went out of town, so we have Lily. Karen and I have Lily this weekend by ourselves. Some of you live that life where you keep grandkids. And I've heard, I've only heard stories of how great it is for about three days. So uh, it's for about three days, it's really kind of fun, and then all of a sudden it gets kind of hard. Uh, There's some work to be done. We took Lily to a dog show. So last week I talked about dogs a little bit, going to drop some dogs in here today. Went to a dog show, an AKC show in um, Alexandria, and we'd heard that it was open to the public. And I, after getting in there, I'm not quite sure it was. It was like, uh, I, I don't know how to explain it. You may be dog, people who show dogs. I don't know. But it's like uh, travel baseball culture. You go in there, and this is travel dog culture. And these people have these little systems of how they carry these dogs around, and, they're, and they have RVs parked everywhere that cost as much as a house, and, and uh, outside the RVs are little dog pens, and there's five identical dogs in there, and I guess they decide which one they're going to show today, and uh, they got big screen TVs and satellites, and, and some of them are living out of little bitty vans, and, it's, and it, you've got that over the whole room. You got people that can't afford to go find lunch, and you got people with a two hundred thousand dollar bus outside with satellite. And on top of that, I thinking about the word all week. I'm walking around this crowd, and I'm hearing things that people are talking about. Over here, you got two girls that are showing their dogs that are fighting mad that the judge said what he said about something. They're they're just incensed by it. Then you got a mom talking to her daughter, trying to explain to her what they're doing. Then you got people that are stressed out because they can't get it all done, and they're trying to get every dog there washed that's in their little little group of dogs and make sure they get everything done right. And it's just like our life, but it's all boils down to that little bitty culture. They were going. There were people there struggling, struggling. Dogs are pretty. Lily, Lily had a good time. Get Lily home, and uh, she um, was a little rambunctious. She was wired up. So some, somewhere in the course of the day, being all wired up, jumping up and down off the couch and 
playing with things. She, uh, she has a port in her stomach that's a feeding port left from her being a preemie. They left it in there for, a, it's been two years. Well, somehow she pulled it out. Mama's gone. Mama knows how to put it back in. We don't. Uh, we call our son, who is a, a pediatrician, and say, what do we do this? He said, well, take, take her to the emergency room. That's the, that's the instant doctor answer in my family, by the way. They're not going to give you any advice or write you a prescription. They're going to tell you to go to the doctor. So uh, we took her in. It was a terrible experience at the ER for her. She was, cried a lot. She cried all night long. I was in pain, you know, from the bruising of it, and it was just a terrible, terrible thing. We live in a fallen world, don't we? There's pain here. There's pain here for everybody. For the innocent, the little bitty innocent, and for the great big adult, there's pain. Sometimes we don't know what to say. We don't know how to pray. Verse 26, in the same way the Spirit helps us in this weakness, our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. I know all of you have been there. Everyone here has been there when you just didn't know what to say to the Lord. Don't know how to pray. Now some people can can stand up in a crowd and they can they can just eloquently pour out a prayer that is uh, seems like they wrote it down and memorized it and it's, it rhymes and it meets everything that every need of the prayer of the room and people resonate with it. There are people like that. that. But the rest of us, uh, we just pray the best we can. We just tell the Lord what we need to tell him. And sometimes we can't even tell him. And the Spirit's speaking on our behalf. You've done it. You've had your hands on your face, just frustrated with or worried about a situation and made that groan, that sigh. Spirit's interceding for you. Spirit's your advocate in that, in those wordless groans. Friday, I'm in front of the grocery store, walking in, kind of showing you I've been in this word all week, thinking about it all week, seeing people people suffering and going through difficult times. There's a lady in a in one of the nicest looking Mercedes SUVs I've ever seen. It was it was beautiful, and it was as big as a suburban. I didn't know they even made them that big in Mercedes. Right there, and she was parked in the door. You had to walk around her to get into the door of the grocery store. Uh, first thing I wanted to say, I wanted to walk up to the window and tap on it and say, hey, can you move this thing? There are people trying to get in here. And um, I looked in the window, and she had a, the burqa on. She's covered. She's Muslim. And she was had her hands on the, um, on the steering wheel and her face buried in her hands, and she was shaking. She needed, she needed something. She needed the Lord. I just prayed that the Lord would speak to her and she would find Jesus. People are in pain and they need the Lord, but we have the Holy Spirit. Verse 27, 
the Spirit, he's he who searches our heart knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that, by the way, this is this hope. We're going to go back from bad news and here's some good news. Here's some good news. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. You can't hardly find a Christian that doesn't, hasn't quoted that verse sometime in their life. We love this verse. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And for those God foreknew, and it's talking about the church, talking about the redeemed, the born-again believers in Christ, that church, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Bad news is the world's falling apart. Good news is, is that we have hope in Jesus. And we have an advocate in the Holy Spirit. And we have a future of being redeemed into eternity. Verse 30 talks about our status. The status that we live in every day. And those he predestined, that's those that are saved, us. He also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those, that means made right. And those he justified, he also glorified. going to glorify us in heaven we're going to be we're going to be in his presence in that heavenly body in that redemptive stage we know we have that to come and i'll close it up a little bit here in 1999 is what it was 1999 I finally got to, to live out this childhood, I guess, dream of being like the rest of my family. Because I went into the ministry and I didn't have the same sort of uh, financial package that the rest of my family had. So um, I had this dream of having a bass boat. So I decided I was going to get one and I went out and bought a 14-foot John boat. That's close as I could get. Didn't have a motor on it. Did have a trailer. So I had this boat, and it was pretty ugly, so I, I decided to paint it, painted it Kelly green, uh, cleaned it up, put a, put a, a bottom in it uh, with a little bit of carpet on it, and I uh, was gonna, only going to use it in the city pond or the city lakes in Tallahassee where we were moving to. I um, couldn't afford a motor and couldn't afford to keep one running, so I uh, bought the biggest, biggest trolling motor I could afford. Bought the big trolling motor, put it on there, put a big battery in there, and um, even had a, a backup battery so I could take it out and got it ready to go fishing. I took our two um, oldest kids at the time. I, I took them uh, with me fishing because it's just going to be a day with Dad out catching perch. We got in that uh, little boat, unloaded it at the dock. It was perfect for this little lake. I don't know how many acres it was. It wasn't that big. But it was the kind of lake that I hadn't grown up with, so I wasn't used to lakes that had just little lanes of open water and the rest was vegetation. So I um, got out there, and it, you know, there was, it was like a map. They had cut them. They were, 
little square lines around patches of vegetation and you go down one lane to the next lane to the next lane and there you were on a point and on that point you could fish and it was it was a good it was a good experience to you know be there we got out there the kids were having a good time I, I thought we would fish about 20 minutes 30 minutes at the most I thought that's all they could last so we got them in there got the got the little Mickey Mouse fishing poles and the bobbers and the worms on there and they were fishing caught a couple of, of fish and uh, then they got tired of it so uh, they were ready to go back, and I thought, well, we've, we've won today. It was, it was a win. I'm getting out of here. So I turned the boat around, went down the lane, went back down this lane, and as I turned on the right lane, the second to the last one to come back to the dock, uh, a storm came up. Now, it wasn't a real storm. It was just windy. It wasn't raining, but it was very, very windy. And the front of the boat was catching wind, and this trolling motor was doing everything it could to get us through that wind, and I got, and I made the corner. And it was so, it's like a great relief to make that corner. So I made the corner, and I was coming straight back to the dock, and I thought, I've made it. I'm good. Except the wind didn't stop. And the wind began to push me into that vegetation. And before I could turn around, um, and, and see where I was, I was right in the middle of that patch of vegetation, about, I'm going to say about two acres big, stuck. Couldn't get out and walk and tow the boat out because, um, you know, I didn't know what was under there. First time I'd been around alligators. Um, and there were snakes everywhere. It was, and then there was little floating islands. I'd never seen those before. So we're out in the middle of this, and I'm trying to make the trolling motor work. We're getting to about halfway in, and I think if I can just get over to that next lane I was on originally, we can just go up to the bank and walk out of here. That'll be okay. We can make that. Couldn't get out of it. The motor died. The battery died. So, battery died. Looked at the second battery. It came with us dead. So, we couldn't hook up that motor to that battery. It became a desperate situation because kids that are tired of fishing can quickly need other things. So they're hungry, got to go to the bathroom, got to, um, and they're starting to worry about what's going on, and they're starting to get cold. So we're uh, in this boat, and I started getting desperate about, I started yelling for help, and uh, over on the, the bank, it seems another boat would come grab us and tow us out of there, and and everybody was partying and drinking, and they weren't going to come over there. <clears throat> so I gathered the two kids in the front of the boat, and I said, okay, we're just going to have to do what we do best and get out of here. And I looked at Caitlin, and I said, you're the loudest. I need you to cry for help. You start hollering over to the bank, see if those people will come over and get us. And, um, and I looked at Judd, and he says, okay, I'm going to pray. He was a prayer. He's the one that... Uh, the Lord moved out at one time when he was with Karen. I was flying, and the plane had got had trouble in the air. Smoke had filled the cockpit. And uh, he said, Mom, we need to go outside and pray for Dad today. I think it's time to pray for Dad. Uh, and we, they went on the deck and prayed for me as I was in flight. They had no idea that this plane was having trouble. That's Judd. So Judd was, um, he was praying. So he's down at the bottom of that boat praying. Caitlin was up on the bow of the boat yelling, and I was down on the side of it paddling as hard as I could. And nothing was working. So I gathered them all together, and we set, all the three of us got on the very front of that boat. And when we did, it tipped. And the front almost went underwater. Tipped down like that. 
and the back of it came up like this. And as the back of it came up this, a gust of wind came up and hit that boat and just pushed it and started pushing it through that two acres of of vegetation to the next channel. And when I got to the next channel, uh, I could, uh, I put the boat back down, distributed the kids, made it all even again, and uh, plugged the battery back up on the, on the trolling motor and gave it a try and it started working. Those kids got to learn that day that when things look terrible, I mean, I learned it too. When things look terrible and there is no hope and you don't know how you're going to get out of this and nobody's helping, that sometimes that wind that got you into that can get you out of that. And the Lord's letting us go through difficult times because those difficult times that we're experiencing, that we're living through, that we are uh, struggling and worrying about, that he has taken care of us all along. And we're just learning to depend on him. They got to learn to depend on him. Really early, early age. That's what this passage is teaching. We can have hope when we belong to him therefore there's no condemnation for us we live in him those that have christ through those difficult difficult days in this in this declining world we know the holy spirit is interceding on our behalf and we have hope for eternity next time the wind blows Remember this passage. He's with you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for these stories that, that come to our lives. Every one of us has those kind of experiences where we were in difficult circumstances and you were there. We couldn't see the end, but you were there. Started to worry and you were there. Lost loved ones, but you were there. And Father, we know when those things come in the future, you're going to be there. But there's so many people that don't have that hope, Father, and we pray that they would find it in Jesus. They'd find it today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have a time of invitation. I'll be up front to talk if anybody wants to talk and pray. But the invitation is always open from the Lord. The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Manny, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about the church, including contact information, go to the website www.fbcmany.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.